the station with the best me best me best music best music i love the music best music guest on with us tonight. We have Nancy Rines, and Nancy is a speaker, um, inspirational speaker, if you like to say that, and uh, keynote author, spiritual teacher, artist. She has uh, had a near-death experience and had quite an experience, so she's going to be joining us tonight, and we're going to be chatting about that, and I think it's a, a really good subject to talk about. A lot of us know... Um, We've all been touched by these things one way or the other, whether we want to talk about it or not. So Nancy and I are going to talk about it tonight. And I just want to say welcome, Nancy, to Carol's Coffee House. Thank you. Thanks for having me on tonight. I'm really excited to have you here and uh, be able to talk to you about this very real experience that you had. 
for uh, bringing me on the air to talk about it. Let's just kind of see where we wander tonight. Exactly. I was just telling Nancy that uh, being in Canada, she's in Washington State, and uh, we've had a little issue because our Canada Post um, doesn't think that they're going to be able to get things delivered to us till probably the spring. So the book that I was supposed to have and enjoy reading didn't get to me yet, so... (laughs) We're going to just uh, talk about it as two people that have been touched by this. And I'm very anxious, Nancy, to hear about your experience. Tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Yes, yeah, so I was uh, born into a Roman Catholic home in um, the Midwest United States near Chicago. Grew up on a small family farm and kind of lived a normal, you know, Midwestern farm girl type of life. Um, and by the, but by the time I was probably in my late teens, I would say I began to really drift away from religion at all. I mean, especially Catholicism, but but just religion in general uh, kind of didn't hold didn't hold anything for me anymore. I wasn't feeling very good about it, so I I really left and be, really truly became an atheist because I went into the sciences for uh, my my uh, college degree and uh, graduate training as well after that uh, and then went into work different types of jobs but all of them had to do with the sciences and engineering and really as a scientist you know you're not really uh, encouraged to be spiritual for the most part you're encouraged to really focus in on the material world and so that's really what I did and Um, I didn't really believe in anything that I couldn't measure with my own two hands. So uh, I I limited myself really in what what it was I was willing to believe. Um, And that was up until just a few years ago when I had my awakening. (laughs) Well, you had, it was a little bit of an accident that you had, right? Well, I guess there are no such things as accidents. But yes, the the police officers called it an accident. I was riding my bicycle one fine January morning. At that time, I was actually living in uh, near, near Boulder, Colorado, which in the wintertime is actually quite mild. Uh, it's that day. I think it was in the it was around 60 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is centigrade, but uh, Fahrenheit, it was 60 degrees, beautifully sunny, uh, dry. So I went off on a bike ride around town just to run some errands, and which is pretty normal for me and a lot of other folks. Um, and I went into a brand new traffic circle, or down in the States we call it roundabout, where um, the bike lane that I was riding in kind of disappeared. And I didn't really know what to do about it except to take the whole lane of traffic, which is what you're supposed to do. Um, and I saw that there was a car behind me, and he was back a respectable distance he wasn't crowding me or anything Uh, and then there was a vehicle coming into the traffic circle from my right hand side so it was a a side road that was coming into where I was riding and at first it looked like that vehicle which was a very large SUV um, it looked like that vehicle was going to stop and so I I kind of kept glancing at it just to you know, watch it to see what was going to happen. Um, and I thought it was slowing down, but it, in truth, as, as I got up to where that vehicle was coming in, um, the, the driver of the vehicle really kind of accelerated instead of slowing down and stopping as she was supposed to. Um, and because of the situation that I was in, I couldn't avoid being hit. I had a car behind me, and there was nowhere for me to go to get out of her way. Um, and so she ended up hitting my right hand side, my right rib cage. Um, I, I somehow tried to push off. Like, I don't know how this happened, but I, I know I tried to push off her car and ended up, I think I flipped somehow and ended up on the hood of her car. And I remember looking in at her, through the windshield at her and uh, she had her phone up kind of balanced on top of the steering wheel and texting as she was driving which was illegal but didn't matter she was doing it anyway (laughs) um that's why it's illegal yeah and uh she wasn't paying attention to where she was driving and in fact uh, the 
really wonky thing is that she was so engrossed in her phone that she didn't know she hit me. She didn't see me looking in the window at her on th on the hood of her SUV, which... Wow. Yeah. It, it was... At that point, I was like, really? <laughs> Come on. Um, and I was also... At that point, I was beginning to get scared. Now, I, I, was, I was definitely aware of what was going on, and I was beginning to be frightened because I could tell she wasn't stopping, and she didn't see me, and I didn't know how to make her see me. Um, and, and she kept driving, and I couldn't find anything really to grab onto. I wasn't really high enough up on the hood to kind of grab onto where, you know, the top part of the hood where where it would meet the windshield. I couldn't grab onto that. But I ended up slipping down as she was driving and slipped and kind of kind of doing one of those, remember the, in the old cartoons with Wile E. Coyote, you know, where <laughs> yeah. Coyote, and I had this image in my mind, actually. <laughs> there was this, this kind of crazy human fear, which is normal. And then I had this really comical thought, like, it's just like the cartoons, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think we think alike. This is really strange. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, as I'm going, I'm, I'm sliding down over the front of her SUV thinking, this is just like Wile E. Coyote, you know, kind of falling off a cliff in one of those cartoons. Um, and that's kind of what happened. I tried to grab on to the front. I was desperate at that point, really trying to grab on. I was trying to grab on uh, to the front of her of her vehicle, anything I could grab onto. I tried kind of at the last minute grabbing the license plate and the, the bumper, but I just couldn't grab onto it and ended up hitting the pavement in kind of in between her front wheels. So she was, um, luckily I was right in the middle. I wasn't at first, um, impacted at all by the wheels, but, but as my uh, body hit, I could hear, you know, one of those big loud cracks and I knew well, this isn't good and uh, I was really afraid at that point I mean that's when the terror kind of started I was really terrified of of uh, being run over by one of her wheels which mm. you know I, there's no way I would have survived that um, luckily for me when I hit the pavement one there was a couple of really crazy things that happened the first crazy thing that happened which at the time, I really didn't know what to do with because I'd had no training, you know, in the sciences for this. I noticed that my my consciousness, my there was my consciousness was kind of separated into two places, which to me was really weird uh, at that point because um, I didn't believe in any of this stuff, right? I didn't believe in a soul. I didn't believe in spirituality. I didn't believe that consciousness could exist outside of the body. Um, and so I noticed that I was watching the accident from a point of view of maybe 50 to 75 feet off to the side, and, uh, kind of off in the grassy area near this roundabout. Um, but at the same time, I was also in my body. I, there was a part of me that was still in my body. And... They were two very different aspects of my consciousness. The, you know, the human self that I was, was terrified and just focused on survival. And then I would say the consciousness, the part of me that was outside watching this, my soul, if you will, or my, con my higher consciousness, was very calm <laughs> and serene and blissful and peaceful and like, everything is happening just as it should everything's going to be okay and there was this kind of argument back and forth you know like this isn't this isn't okay you know that was the me under the vehicle um that was kind of screaming back like no this sucks this isn't okay and uh, so so she's this woman still didn't know that she had hit me so she's driving and as as my consciousness is kind of split into two places, I end up between her front wheels, um, getting stuck. L luckily, I got stuck on her on the transfer case underneath of her vehicle, and kind of at the and 
the same time, um, I reached up when I noticed I wasn't going anywhere, um, I reached up and grabbed onto her axle with one of my hands so that I wouldn't get run over by her back wheels. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do. It was just like this reaction, like, you know, reach up and grab it so that you don't get run over because, you know, this woman's driving in a circle. Um, and so there was no, there was really no way for me, um, to survive in their way. So, um, I just instinctually did that. I, I don't know if it was the right thing. I guess it was because I'm still here, but, <laughs> um, it luckily for me, there were a, a couple of bystanders, obviously the man that was in the car behind me. And then there was a vehicle that was behind the driver who hit me and that driver, I don't know how he did it, but he somehow kind of went over over road or over uh, over the median or something and drove around the traffic circle the wrong way to stop her so that you know she wouldn't keep driving so that he was physically blocking the road and you know thank god he did that because otherwise she would have probably kept going um it you know it turned out i think she ended up driving once i got stuck underneath the vehicle i think the police said that i they ended up, I ended up being dragged about at least 75, well, excuse me, at least 50 feet, perhaps as far as 75 feet. So it was, for me, felt like forever. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, that was kind of crazy. It was as soon as the paramedics got there and, you know, started working on me, um, those two parts of my consciousness came back together. I think just because of the pain that I was in. Um, and, and I was back to, you know, you know, being in one in my body. And I remember thinking, you know, as I'm laying there on the tarmac, having the paramedics work on me, that was really weird. I wonder what that was all about. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't know what to do with it because I'd never heard about anything like that before. So I just let it, you know, I just... I couldn't really spend time thinking about it. I was pretty focused on, you know, what was going to come next because I knew I was in pretty bad shape. Uh, I just had that, you know, one of those, you know, you know when you're hurt really bad, and I knew that I was hurt really badly. I, I it felt like my back, my spine had been torn in two. That's what how bad the pain was. It was so excruciating, um, and. I mean, I was, I was really, I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm not proud at all. I was just whining and screaming like a baby because it was so bad. And, um, they took me to the hospital and they found out that basically my, um, my first lumbar vertebrae was completely shattered. I mean, it was gone, like gone. Um, and I think it was a total of nine vertebrae in my back and neck were broken in multiple places like they didn't even know how to count the number of breaks they were just busted and you know most my pelvis was broken I had a collapsed lung um, I had broken ribs and a broken collarbone and a cracked sternum from being you know stuck on that transfer case um, but the 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 spinal trauma was so bad that, uh, I mean, I can't believe, I, I still can't believe that A, I survived that, but B, that I survived being able to feel my feet. You know, I was still able to feel my feet in the ER, in the emergency room, um, which was a minor miracle or a major miracle. And uh, so the they decided that they would do surgery to put, they ended up putting titanium rods in my back to kind of stabilize my spine. Um, and, you know, they cleaned it all out, kept, you know, got all the little bits of, of bone out, but they were, but they were going to just put that, those two, uh, titanium rods in my spine to just keep me straight and healing well. Um, so, so that was, you know, 
that was scheduled for a couple of days later, and that's actually when the big event happened. You know, the 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 wake up call on the tarmac wasn't big enough apparently. So then, <laughs> um, you know, during the during the surgery, uh, I, I they really still don't know what happened. But um, when they gave me the anesthesia, basically my heart stopped, and my breathing stopped and my blood pressure went to zero. So basically I began to die on the operating table. Um, so that's when, you know, that's when the, the big event happened and it, it just completely changed everything. Just in, in those brief moments, it was a game changer for me. Wow, that in itself, just that first part, is something that is unimaginable you know as you're describing it I'm trying to imagine you know going through that myself and it's just something that you can't grasp and you know it's 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 the pain that that must have felt that to have that much brokenness in you and it almost must have been a relief to get into surgery to go to sleep for a while now, when you did go to sleep, did you start to feel... What did you feel when you knew that you were leaving leaving the earth, basically? You were you were dying. You, you mean the one in surgery? Yeah. So, I didn't really know what was happening. I didn't have the whole tunnel experience like some people have. Mm-hmm. I drifted off, you know, from the anesthesia, and then it was like immediately I woke up. Which, I, in and of itself, I thought, that's not right. <laughs> um, so I just all of a sudden found myself wide awake. And I was standing up, which was another thing that shouldn't have been happening. Um, I found myself standing up in what looked to me to be a beautiful landscape. So I was, like, in an outside setting with... A meadow around me and off in the distance I was kind of like on a hillside you know a meadow on a hillside and off in the distance were like rolling uh, not really big mountains like the Rocky Mountains but more like the mountains on the east coast of the of North America kind of rolling mountains and misty kind of a mist floating through everything and it was a beautiful bright light from everywhere it wasn't really terribly bright like it was blinding but it was definitely a bright light kind of coming from everywhere I didn't couldn't find like a specific source it was just all around and um, what I noticed right away was first of all that I was standing second of all that around me was a feeling of peace and love that was kind of like embracing me that's the only way that I can describe it it's hard, it's hard to put that into English words um, but I was I felt like I was being embraced by love on a huge scale like not just being embraced by a family member here you know on earth but like cosmic love type of type of thing and I felt welcomed like I'd never felt welcomed anywhere in my life um, and that's when I started my brain was still thinking I was still and here's the funky thing so you know when you're when you're under anesthesia your brain shouldn't be thinking at all but I was still my consciousness was still aware and functioning and logical and rational and I remember contemplating the fact that huh I just went into surgery, and now I'm in this beautiful place that I shouldn't be in, and I'm feeling love. I wonder if I died. And I began to think about, hmm, so I wonder if I died. Well, then if I did die, what's all this about? Because I don't believe that life exists after, you know, the body dies. And I began to just sit with that. And I didn't really quite know what to do with it. And then there was an answer. You know, there was an answer that came from basically all around me. And it was a voice that said, this is your home. Welcome home. 
You're a part of me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and how is your logic trying to understand how come there's a voice talking to me right now? At that point, at that point, it was like I remembered. So as soon as I was welcomed, it was like, oh, yeah, that whole life down there was just, you know, not really an illusion, but it was, it was temporary. You know, it's a, some people call it a dream, but it was a temporary thing. And I'm back home now. I knew it immediately that I'm home. This is it. This is my home. And I just started like weeping that's because I felt like I'm finally home after so long and I've been so homesick and and it was just overwhelming and trying to embrace that I don't know that the magnitude of that love and welcoming now did you have a body when you were there like a, um, similar to what you would have had on earth Sort of. I mean, it, to me, when I looked down, it was sort—it was kind of fuzzy and not fully corporeal. I Meaning, I cor- kind of see through myself a little bit. It was a little weird, but um, it wasn't like I was solid. It was—it was as if I was um, more built of energy than than material. So, I mean, I still had a sense of a body, but I was really more. Um, I don't know. It was some. It was like something out of the movie Ghost or something, where I was partially a ghost almost. But um, but I could still feel. So it was like somewhere in between being fully energetic spirit, you know, like a spirit, or and being, you know, in the physical human body. Wow. But I, yeah, but I did kind of still have a sense of you know a general sense of limbs you know my legs and my hands and my arms and and that kind of thing so what happened next after you broke down realizing that you were home and and you you'd been homesick and probably didn't even really notice it until that time right so i i was thinking well cool cool. (laughs) i'm done with that down there and now I get to go see my family members who had died you know like I was all expecting this great big reunion you know mm-hmm. like can I go see my dad now you know what's what's up with this and instead of you know my dad or some family members coming to greet me there was a woman that came out of kind of just sort of materialized out of nothing almost um, and she was I mean she told me that the the vision the vision that I saw of her was really um, not really a mirage, but it was a cloak that she wore. It was a um, an image that she put out there just to make it more comfortable for me to to converse with her. So what I saw was um, a womanly figure about I don't know maybe another six or seven inches taller than me and long dark brown hair I couldn't really get a good glimpse of her face it was like always fuzzy Um, and she was wearing like long drapey tunic and I think I'm not sure if it was a skirt or like pants but it looked like it was made out of some kind of linen material but it was it was glowing like it was almost um, scintillating with energy was you know her clothing and she came up to me and, and embraced me and said that she was my guide or my mentor or teacher. I, you know, the word is hard to really pin down. It was more like a teacher. She said she'd be my teacher or my guide to this place to teach me what it was I needed to learn in order to come back to my life on earth and make it one that would be truly worth living. And I, I was like, okay, um... I really don't want to go back there. <laughs> mm. uh, and I, I, th- I was stuck on the go back. You know, I really, at that point, was afraid, really afraid to go back because I knew um, that I'd have a long physical recovery. You know, I knew my body was broken and I didn't know what kind of physical challenges I would face and I was just scared, really, to come back here. Um, 
and she said well you've already agreed to go back that's part of your plan you've agreed to go back and and you know teach those around you your family members these things that that I'm going to pass on to you and I you know I told her I don't remember that <laughs> I was kind of like a little I had I, I do admit I had a little bit of an attitude like I don't remember that how you know you can't hold me to that because I don't remember it um and, but she showed me like it was kind of like having a video or a movie played in the air in front of me um she showed me an image of me before I was born into this body uh, agreeing to have certain experiences and to learn certain things and one of them was you know to have this NDE and learn what I was going to learn and then go back and and you know teach my family or friends about what I learned so that was part of my plan um, and once she showed that to me it was like okay well I guess I can't you know I can't protest any any longer but um, so she started taking me around. We, we, basically, it was like walking around for a, what seemed to me to be like a couple of months. It was, it was a long, long time. And she just taught me things that she said either you've forgotten or you never really learned fully. Um, but they're things that will help you really live a good spiritual life and will help you live the life that you want um, so I couldn't fault that you know it was mm. it was uh, two months of really intensive spiritual coaching <laughs> you know um, that's the only thing I can the only way I can put it I'm just flabbergasted sitting here thinking about this what really grabbed me was the whole idea that you um, was able to be shown or remember um, being before you became, you know, present on the earth in, in a physical body. Um, I, I've, I've run around a circle of uh, younger people and they love to debate and they love to philosophize of all the uh, what ifs, you know, uh, around spiritual um, things. And that's one of the things that I remember that uh, they would talk about quite a bit. So it's pretty fascinating to hear that somebody actually had that experience because it's, it's almost like we have a sense whether we choose to um, acknowledge it as being truth or put it aside saying it's, you know, imaginations. Um, but we all seem to have this sense of something more that it can't just be... Um, you know, this is it. This this is the body dies and that's it. There's there seems to be a sense in every human being you come across, whether they want to really express that or not, that there there has to be more because logically it makes no sense that there wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me a headache sometimes when I'm trying to yeah, <laughs> think about it, right? Well, it, we, we can't really, I think, I, I, as humans anyway, it's really hard for us to wrap our brains around the enormity of of these topics because, I, I mean, yeah, it does sometimes make my brain hurt when I think about, well, okay, so that's just one potential lifetime. Have I lived other ones? You know, what do they look like? How many were there? Um, is this all we do is just, you know, have these weird, experiences on this planet or whatever planet you know in the physical and you know are we just kind of recycling ourselves in the physical plane or is there more you know is there more than just this physical that's maybe some people don't ever incarnate you know are there beings that never come here spiritual beings i mean you know that never come into a body those are some of the things i was thinking about and did you get some answers to that I did, yeah, there are certainly, um, as far as that question goes, there are certainly spiritual beings that choose never to come into a physical body because it's not part of what they feel or, you know, the divine, what I call the divine presence feels is right for them. So they can accomplish what they need to accomplish without, you know, coming into a physical body. Um, some 
some spiritual beings only come a few times and that's all they need some come once and are scared you know beyond belief about what they experienced and never come back <laughs> wow and so so they stay in spiritual but you know that's it's just a different mix from what they told me of different experiences of you know whatever it is that y- your your development will will be best served by um, that's what you're going to end up getting you know that's what you'll sign up for you know it's um, the right thing for you and, and then you do it so it's a little bit different concept I think than here we think there's this idea that maybe for some people this is the truth but um, you know everybody's sent here against their will and that is totally not the case people choose to come into this life I did Um, not sure whether I'll ever choose to come back again but (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I know the feeling I'm getting kind of (laughs) tired yeah exactly (laughs) Um, but she taught me a bunch of other things too I mean it wasn't just about that it was you know the nature of love of divine love of spiritual love Um, you know the importance of really truly being grateful and feeling gratitude for the things that you do have in this moment right now Um, the, the joy that comes really and truly just living your truth on a daily basis the first thing is obviously knowing what your true self is knowing who you really are and then living in accordance with that Um, and so the reason I think why I had gotten so far off track is because I wasn't really living my truth the truth of who I was was that I was really a spiritual kid and I was intrigued by spiritual matters for a lot of my childhood and then I allowed other people mm-hmm. to influence me away from that um, so that's an example of not living your truth and it can lead to for me it led to kind of a being in a funk or not really a full-on depression but certainly I wasn't feeling very good about myself before all this um, and so real joy comes in knowing your true nature and living in accordance with that making your decisions in accordance with that um, it, it, it was an, that's an incredibly freeing concept for a lot of people um, another one is just l- learning to forgive and, and let go of um, the preconceived notions of who you think you should be you know basically you know letting go of what society tells you you should do um and pursuing that which really truly is is you again that's living your truth but you have to let go of what other people tell you you should be it's really powerful especially for younger folks people in their teens and perhaps into their 20s or even older folks that you don't have to live the life society tells you you need to live I mean as long as you're you know not hurting other people and are you know legal about the way you go about things and not you know doing what we call bad things or meaning hurting other people um, if you want to be an artist pursue being an artist if you want to be a musician pursue it you know don't let that dream die because that's you, that's, you that yeah. is powerful because we are told, you know, I, I was having a conversation with um, a younger person in my family who was having a little bit of a struggle with public school, um, high school type thing. And I said, well, don't don't worry about it. I said, really? Because I said, what school is designed to do is not educate you. I said, it's designed to make you into a good citizen so you can go and work the corporate life. Exactly. <laughs> She said, oh, I said, well, that's exactly what it's designed for. I said, that's why you've seen in Canada here anyway, in the last, say, 30 years, you know, the times that kids go to school change because the work times are changing. We used to have an hour lunch break, you know, when I was growing up. It's only a half an hour now because that's all you get in the the workforce. 
we get a half an hour lunch break you don't get an hour so the schools are, are shining on that so I can I can see that concept you're talking about um, being freeing to people because um, it is depressing it's like an oppression it's like it's like a different type of, of for lack of a better word slavery to something that isn't you you're enslaved to something that yeah. that is is grabbing a hold of you and dragging you down and yeah. I've, I've seen that myself like I personally did have a near-death experience I had a heart attack when I was 38 Wow! and like you I didn't see the tunnel or anything like that but when I was heading out I was in the ambulance at that point and that's when I dropped off I think they told me I was gone eight seconds something like that but I remember going down that's what it felt like to me going down and having no control to wake up and I started to you know freak out <laughs> get <someone> like, <laughs> Kelly you gotta wake up <laughs> get up <laughs> and I didn't see anything or anybody I did come to soon after that but the only way I can describe it is what I seen was a shadow it was above uh, my right side to, to towards my head somewhere in that direction and it was a, a very large being that seemed to take up the entire universe and that being seemed to have three heads but one body but it was weird because I said uh, that, that guy's the boss whatever that is <laughs> the only thing I could think about was could that be what we call God I don't know um, but then I came out of it but I had the same experience as you in the hospital or before I got to the hospital for the first drive to the hospital um, with my body having a mind of its own and then this other part of me that was totally calm when this was going on knew that I was having a heart attack knew that I could possibly die my body was flipping out like it had its own mind saying save me I'm gonna die and the other part of me was like well it's okay <laughs> you know <laughs> and I'm like what do I do with that like and and I was so upset because I'm logical by nature even though I'm a Pisces I'm very logical and I was so upset for that for a long period of time it it, it upset my world that experience I had been a church-going person all my life I grew up in the church um, everything that I believed I was taught in the church whether I understood it correctly or not was wrong <laughs> It threw me off. I didn't want to go to church anymore. I didn't want to talk to people that were spiritual anymore. I just wanted to be left alone with my PTSD and try to live today without dying. <laughs> 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 but I do, I do understand that. And um, well, somebody told me once, "You we weren't dead long enough." And I said, "Well, that was long enough for me. Thanks. I don't." really want to try that again in the near future i know someday it's going to happen again how i don't know but we all come to that place someday that's why our conversation is so important now after you seen um and was going through and was being taught these things to bring back um, to teach others uh, what happened after the teaching had concluded so it was um yeah, like I said, it was. It felt like a couple of months, and and my guide who she brought me again to another meadow, um, maybe perhaps the same one we started, and I don't really know. It's, it was hard to tell because everything kind of rolled together. But um, she said she was going to send me back, and at that point, I I I have to tell you, I started crying like a baby and said, "I'm not going back there. You're not going to make me go back there." Um, I was just too, again too scared to go back and she said well before before you go I'm going to help you a little bit by uh, doing a, a healing on you and so she did she didn't actually lay her hands on me but she kind of waved her hands over parts parts of my body that were the most broken and that's what it looked like to me I couldn't really feel anything happening mm -hmm. but we can talk about that because it kind of it, 
it helped me actually a little bit later once I was back in my body. So she did her magic there with, you know, this whatever energy healing it was and sent me back and I woke up in the recovery room. Um, they had completed the surgery and I woke up like screaming at the top of my lung. <laughs> I came out of that, I came out of the anesthetic screaming for this woman that had been with me. Like, where is she? Where is she? I want her back. I want her. I want to be back in heaven. I kept saying that stuff. I want to be back in heaven. That was the only word that I could come up with to describe what I had experienced. Um, and of course, the anesthesiologist and the nurse were like, whoa, what's going on with this lady? Um, and they ended up, they went and got my friend, one of my friends who was out waiting in the the like the waiting room for the OR because they thought I was talking about her and I said no 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 I don't want her I want the <laughs> other one <laughs> my poor friend was must have felt so bad <laughs> and it took me it took me a few weeks to actually tell her my friend what had happened I felt really bad about what I had said um but it did take me a couple, I guess it was probably close to three weeks to really confess what, what had gone on. And then she was okay with it once I told her what had happened. <laughs> but then I, you know, I came out of it and uh, the next morning I'm laying in my, my, my actual hospital room and uh, I, I, I'm like kind of reeling and still freaking out from what happened. I hadn't told anybody. I had not told the nurses. I had not told the doctors. Um, I think the anesthesiologist knew something funky had happened, but I didn't tell anybody. I was just kind of quietly freaking out uh, on my own in my hospital room. And the next morning, the one of the chaplains walked in, which was weird because I had specifically asked, you know, no chaplains to come into my room because I was an atheist and I didn't want that stuff. Um, but she came in. I, I believe that she was likely prompted to come in, considering what had happened in the OR. Um, so she came in, and and I started. I couldn't help myself. I just told her what had happened, and I was I I was afraid that I was hallucinating. Mm -hmm. You know, there was, and I knew it was too logical, really, to be a hallucination because I'd had a hallucination once before on meds. So I kind of knew what that felt like from a prescription med that was bad for me. Um, but I was still afraid that what I experienced wasn't real. And um, I talked with her at length about it and described everything in detail and, and said, here's what happened, you know, during the accident and here's what happened during surgery. And she said, no, honey, that's really real. We see that a lot. It's called a near-death experience. You died on the operating table. Um, you're, you know, you began to go into what, what in her terminology, was heaven. Um, it, I just call it now, you know, the spiritual realm because I don't want to put a, you know, religious container around it. But, but you know, she said, you went on to heaven and... You know, you met with some spiritual beings there, and that's what all this was about. And I said, you mean I'm not crazy? She said, no, you're not crazy. <laughs> that's all I was worried about. Did I lose my marbles, you know, during that? Um, nothing like that had ever happened to me in, in the surgeries I'd had before. It was a completely new experience. But then again, I hadn't died on the operating table before either. Um, so, so that was that was the beginning of me opening up to it. It took, it, it took a few, well, I think it was about another week before I told my family what had happened. Um, but the funny thing is that my, some of my friends that came in noticed that I was different right away. I mean, it was to them so obvious that something happened that they, they actually commented on it and I didn't, I didn't fess up to them right away. You know, I just said, wow, that's cool, that's interesting. Um, but they noticed that I was very peaceful, um, that I was very calm, and one of my friends said, it looks like you're glowing, you know, just, you're just blissful. She said, you shouldn't be, you just went through 
a horrible accident and surgery and I just was like feeling blissful I couldn't help it that's just how I felt um, but my friends did notice it right away and so you know slowly I opened up to what had happened and it and it took you know as you know it takes a while to really process it and embrace it and um, kind of know what to do with it um, yeah it is very difficult to uh, because it it, it we've taken so long to learn and accumulate and come you know develop a belief system um that you know is our own that we feel is the answer <laughs> yeah. and then when it gets all torn apart we, we it's very it's a bad feeling of being naked that i wasn't really fussy over it's a good way to put it you know i felt completely wiped clean mm-hmm. That, that's another good way to put it because I'm just yeah. thinking, yeah, like nothing made, like, it felt like everything that happened prior was, um, not a lie, but a, an illusion of my own making. Mm-hmm. And that annoyed me because I was like, did I really cause all this on myself? And then what, what, what how was I supposed to even trust my own mind anymore? What, how could I believe this or believe that and how would I be able to find the evidence uh, to support that that it, that's true so it was really difficult um, to, to maneuver that and I think for me it took about five years to get through that until one day I, I was outside and I remember clearly and I was all by myself in a very strange land and I was having a panic, panic attack thinking I was taking another heart attack and I was so fed up with it all that I said so what so what if I drop here I can it, it's as good as place as any to drop and I just <laughs> got mad <laughs> <laughs> and that was the beginning of the healing when I let that go right there and I just said you know what I don't even care anymore I'm tired of trying to survive and I haven't had any real major problems with it since. And it's, I think what it takes for a lot of us is is letting go of the way we thought life should have been or, or yeah. the way life is supposed to be. Um, you know, for me, I had to let go of being an atheist. I, I You know, I hung on to that for a while. I kept... I mean, I knew what had happened was real, but there was a part of me that was kind of like... Um, grasping it at something that was disappearing you know that dream of being this somehow you know atheist scientist like somehow that was the pinnacle of <laughs> of my life and I kept grasping onto it every once in a while and then finally for me it was oh it was probably about 18 months of of that and then I was actually outside driving from one place in Colorado to another along the the mountain range and crested a hill and and it was like you letting go of that I had one of those letting go moments and I all of a sudden let go of that let go of all of those beliefs about what I should be about I had to let go of my fear of embracing this life I had to let go of the fear of what other people might think of me. Um, And I had to let go of being angry at whatever divinity it was that sent me back here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Whatever you want to call that, I call it now the divine. Um, But I was angry at at that divine presence or that divine consciousness for a long time. And... I'm mad, basically mad as hell that I was sent back, seemingly against my will. But I knew it wasn't against my will, but I I wanted to pretend that it was against my will. Um, and once I let go of that fear, it was like all of a sudden I crested that hill and started weeping because I was just, I knew I had to let it go, and I was letting it go. Um, and then everything just shifted. It was like okay great now I can get on with my real life (laughs) and 
don't have to carry a, the weight of all that should stuff around anymore. It's a very heavy weight to carry, too. You don't realize it, it until you put it down. That's right. That's now, right. did you hope, like, you when you first mentioned about being in this divine place, um, you was hoping to see some family members. Was you ever permitted to see anybody? I did not, no. And, and I was... I, I realized why kind of as I was being sent back and that I wanted to stay there so badly um, that if I did see my family members or friends who had died before me, that it would just be too traumatic to come back. It was just so heart-wrenching enough as it was. Um, but it was kind of a gift that I was given that I wasn't shown my family because it would have just made it too hard you know, to come back. I can imagine it would be. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are just about out of time for this segment, Nancy, but I want to invite you back for part two because I think there's a lot of things that we didn't cover and I wanted to talk to you uh, more about what's going on in your world today um, and how you're taking that message that, um, you know, and touching people with it. But I really do want to thank you for being here because I've learned a lot. You've brought a lot of peace back to me. And I think we should have a part two if that's okay with you. That's awesome. I'd love to. Awesome. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, I'm just going to let you, the listeners know uh, we have quite a few people tuned in right now. So I'm really happy to say that you can get a hold of Nancy's resources and find out where she's going to be speaking at nancyrines.com and you can spell her last name as r-y-n-e-s so nancyrines.com and uh, there's a lot of resources on that web page that you can look through and pick around and and uh, get some some answers i know there's probably listeners out there that are but I, they have a lot of questions, and they're, they're in the same position as you and I were, Nancy, or, or they may find themselves in that position someday. Um, so that's where you can find Nancy right now. And we're going to have Nancy back. We'll post it on HGB Interactive or the Facebook group, plus the webpage at hgbroadcasting.com, and let you know when Nancy will be available to come back, and we'll have part two. How's that sound, Nancy? Thank you. Sounds great. All right. Well, we'll take it out here on one of the songs that you chose that inspires you. We're going to take it out with Here Comes the Sun. <laughs> All right. One of my favorites. <laughs> At least it's ha it's ending on a happy note. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining Carla's Coffee House tonight. And we invite you back Tuesday night for another guest, musical guest that we'll have on. And uh, take care for the next few days until we listen to me again on the radio. Bye now. Here comes the sun, I say, it's alright.